0: Welcome to episode 38 of the Juicebox Podcast. This episode of the Juicebox Podcast is brought to you by Insulet, makers of the Omnipod, the world's only tubeless insulin pump. You're going to like this one. You ready? You know who we're interviewing today? Who am I having a conversation with today on the podcast? Let me say it for you right now. Try to hold yourself together. Mike Menzinger. You okay? You didn't fall off your chair, did you? The excitement hasn't overwhelmed you? Let me try this. Mike Menzinger, right? Right? It's not hitting you yet, is it? All right, let me try it this way. Episode 38 of the Juicebox podcast is an hour-long conversation with the director of software for Dexcom, Mike Menzinger. Now you're excited. Thank you to everybody in the community who sent in questions. Let's not waste any time. Here comes Mike. Okay, guys, getting ready to call Mike Menzinger. Mike works for Dexcom in app and software development. I think you are going to enjoy this. This episode is full of your questions that you sent to me online and some questions of my own. Let's dial Mike's number. Bah, bah, bah. Bah, bah. And then the, uh, the bah, bah. and the <laughs> just like that. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Well, Arden's blood sugar is just drifting a little low after her lunchtime bolus. Here we go. Hello, this is Mike. Mike, hey Scott Benner. Hey Scott, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. You are going to be a popular man on the internet after this. Excellent. <laughs> My first podcast. Is it really? Okay. Right. Congratulations. I wish I had a gift to send, but I, I do not. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> That's all right. I'm just going to jump right in because, you know, why not? I don't want to waste your time. Mike, can you give me a, an overview, like a professional background of yourself?
1: Sure thing. Um, so I joined Dexcom in 2003 when we were uh, a little startup. And uh, my first project was actually working on the what became the 7 Plus Receiver. Mm-hmm. That was oval, our first iconic one. oval. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So on, uh, we developed and launched our three-day product first, um, and then I, I was able to work on the Gen 4 Receiver, which is the current one, and started to uh, expand my role and take over more of the software development management within Dexcom. And what, what so currently?
0: I, oh, I'm sorry. I was gonna. I'm, I'm going to cut you off. I'm so sorry. Uh, but I'm right. interested in the in the seven plus when there's it's your your job in in software is is kind of at that point just in the receiver and in the and in the transmitter itself. Uh, yes, exactly. Okay.
1: And back then, the transmitter was pretty simple, just like it was with Gen Four. Right. Most of the software was on the the receiver itself.
0: Going back that far, did you guys have?
1: dreams of moving it
0: into mobile or does that does that space move so quickly that it wasn't even possible to dream that at that point
1: yeah great question so uh, going back to 2003 up to 2005 i would say mobile technology hadn't really taken off the way the way it has today and the i i we didn't really have that vision yet where it could go. And it's been extraordinary to see where consumer electronics have gone. And obviously Dexcom is trying to take advantage of that revolution and, and bring that to, uh, to be able to manage diabetes more effectively. But back then it wasn't even a glimpse in our vision. Gotcha,
0: okay, and I'm sorry that I cut you off, but you said you were working on the G4 um, and then you said your role expanded a little bit. Is that when you, what, what yep, happened, uh, how'd that happen?
1: Um, uh, Just with uh, different people leaving, um, I was able to uh, to kind of expand my my reach a little bit and get into some of the uh, diabetes management software with Dexcom Studio. Um, And then as we started to branch into mobile, uh, we had to grow a whole other group here um, that specialized in in mobile and back-end server technologies. So it's been very exciting and very quick growth um, to try to keep up with the pace of of the commercial industry. And so what what has that been like
0: for you, trying to develop for the App Store and for Android and satisfy the FDA at the same time and try to think about user experience. It sounds like, it, it kind of sounds daunting a little bit. W- because you put the FDA into it, it, it sounds daunting.
1: Um, honestly, it's been fun. Um, we have a very creative team internally. It is a challenge. Um, one example being, um, now that we're on a platform we don't control, how do we handle mobile OS updates? So when iOS 9 comes out, what do you do to make sure that your system functions safely? Um, and how do we deal that with users? How do we notify users if there is a problem? Um, how do we maintain safety? How do we quickly make updates if a correction is required to maintain uh, performance? And working through those challenges with the FDA has actually really been a lot of fun. And uh, the internal team has really stepped up to invent a lot of new processes to deal with that well.
0: Yeah. And so so you're obviously like using iOS as an example, Dexcom is a dev- has to be a developer. They're in the developer program. How I'm assuming how 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 much time before a new version of the software goes out do you have a beta version of it to work with?
1: Great question, and, and the answer is it depends on what the update is. So if it's a major release like iOS 8 or iOS 9, um, frequently Apple releases betas in June, and they don't launch the final gold master until September, October timeframe. And so during those times, they're, uh, they're obviously bug fixing and, and refining their APIs. And if we're taking advantage of some of the new features, um, we're actually bug fixing along with them um, during that period. And I have to imagine and there, oh, I'm sorry. And there are instances where uh, the version prior to the gold master has a bunch of problems and they actually either have new problems introduced or um, some problems go away when the, when the final version is released. So it's, yeah, challenging to keep pace with that.
0: Yeah, and uh, but but at the same time I'm, when I'm listening to you I'm thinking it must help on the FDA side a little bit because they've they've granted now that they've given over to the idea that there's going to be mobile healthcare apps and this is how the updates come. So now they need to be comfortable that you have 3 months that you have that little window right there and that they need to be on board when that when when the new update comes out because you can't just tell somebody you know we have an app that that you can see your CGM on your phone oh, but by the way, three months from now, you know, the update didn't get okayed by the FDA. So I guess it kind of greases the wheels for everything a
1: little. Um, It does help. Now, not all updates go that way. When Apple releases iOS 9, they frequently come out with a lot of little updates um, to resolve issues as they discover um, problems with their customers. And we may get no notice on a release like that. So um, we'll try to turn around and uh, within a day or two, try to verify that our app still works within that. If there is a a major issue that may take us a little bit longer to go through our verification process, do the right documentation and make a release back to the public. Okay. Um, so. so, so I was wondering, could I, because Mike,
0: do you have type one? Um, I don't. You I don't. have a nephew that does. You have a nephew. does. So if I took a minute here to just dis- to describe to you how I use it. At XCOM in the course of a 24 hour day, um, mm-hmm. just to give you that kind of that, that footing before we kind of start the conversation, because as you know, I have a, uh, a number of questions that have been um, been given to me from the diabetes community online, yeah. um, and you've been really kind enough to say that you would go through them with me. Um, but I also have some questions of my own, and they're based basically on my use of the of the you know of the of the um, the receiver and and of the new app and everything else. So um, I know a lot of people especially in the beginning when you get a a glucose monitor, you think of it as it's an alarm so you don't go too low overnight. Like that's how most people initially are sold it by their doctors. You know, this will keep your blood sugar from getting too low while you're, while you're sleeping or while your child's sleeping. But it doesn't take long after you have it to recognize that once you can see what your blood sugar is doing and how fast it's doing it and how it's reacting to carbs and activity and adrenaline and everything else that you can really start making fine tuning Changes to your to your day-to-day life with with insulin and with activity and water and everything it really it changes everything And I think that once people have a grasp on how to really use the Dexcom This is how you see people with you know, very controlled low a1c's minimal spikes minimal lows lots of stable lines like like I think I think that this thing is so much more than just an alarm for when you get low overnight and so the way I use it as a caretaker is, well, first of all, just adding share to it, you almost saved my life because I was I was a zombie walking back and forth to my daughter's bedroom overnight. You know, even just it, it beeped and you had to go see what it said. There was nothing worse in the world than getting up, walking across the, the hallway, picking it up and seeing that it was, you know, it was it was two points below where you wanted it or a point below, above where you wanted it and it was perfect and, and then you had to go back to bed and there wasn't even anything to do. Um so it's great to look over at my nightstand and see it now. But for instance, this morning, Arden's been growing a lot lately. So her blood sugar has been a little tough overnight. So I was bolusing throughout the night and much more aggressively than I would have been able to without without Dexcom, just much more aggressively. But I do need to know things quicker when they happen. So for instance, Um, right now that the follow app doesn't have alarms for rise and fall rates. It just tells you if, you know, set your high threshold and once you get over it, I'll let you know that you're over it. But I would prefer to know not when Arden's blood sugar is at 160, but when it's at 100 and, and jumping up all of a sudden, um, knowing that would save probably 90 minutes to two and a half hours of a high blood sugar. Um. And then I, I get up a, an hour or so before Arden in the morning, because if she's higher, if she's low, I use the Dexcom to adjust her without waking her up. If she's a little high, like she was this morning, I can give her insulin and bring her blood sugar down. So by the time she wakes up, she's waking up in a good spot. If she's a borderline low, if she's resting at like 80 and I might want her to wake up a little higher than that, I can cut her basal rate right back a little bit, and let her drift up. Then she goes off to school and we make fine adjustments all day long. Now, if I didn't have a DEXCOM today, Arden would have bolused for lunch. Her blood sugar would have been about 170 because that would have been the amount of time between when I would have talked to her, you know. And um, instead, her blood sugar was 96 when she went to lunch. So it's a huge, it's a huge benefit. But at the same time, I got a little busy this morning and I didn't recognize that her blood sugar was 160 until it told me it was 160. So then she spent about an hour and a half this morning, you know, trying to get it back down again. Um, understanding that, that that's how the day goes and, and that that's the real goal for it, I'd like to ask you some questions about follow up, about Apple Watch, about the G5 share. Like, as much as you can fit into this time, are you ready? Have you done stretching or. Um, <laughs>
1: Ready to go. You're ready Fire to ready. go.
0: Okay. All right. So I guess my first question, I'm going to start with the follow-up, Right. Um, and, and so then I'll, I'll start right there. Um, rising alarms and falling alarms, any plans on adding that? Did you
1: never think that they were that important or why are they not there? I guess. Yeah. Great question. It really helps to, to share your experience and how you use the product. Um, So I'll start with going back, and when we originally started the remote monitoring project with Share, we really had two user groups in mind. Uh, The first one was parents who are really managing the diabetes uh, for their children like you are right now. And then it could be for adults, it can be somewhat of a support system or safety net where you can have people keep an eye on you. Those are very two different users to think of and design for. And we struggled um, quite a bit between those about... um, how do we satisfy both of those need sets? So, um, you know, let me put you in uh, their shoes for a second and ask you a question. So, if you if you're the one that has uh, type one, and you wanted to say use your brother um, as a safety net, um, do you think you would want them to get rise and fall rates? Um, would you want them to see when you need to calibrate, when the device has uh, certain errors, or is that kind of your responsibility? I would
0: think, so rise and fall, if if I was just, if I just, if I was an adult, my brother had it, I would, I guess I'd want him to know if I got to a a certain low threshold for safety reasons. I can't imagine wanting him to know that my blood sugar was high, I I guess. Um, and I don't think he would need rise and falls, but I would like the ability to assign them. Um, because what if I traveled alone and I wanted to say to my brother, Hey, you know, I'm going to be away from my family next week. So I'm gonna, you know, can you add the 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 fall rate? And if you see my blood sugar dropping really fast, would you, you know, overnight, would you wake me up? So I can see I can see it being useful in both ways. Mostly, I can see just it would be nice to have it, and I could shut it down if I didn't want it.
1: Yeah, totally makes sense. So we we took the position to start simple. We wanted something very easy to use out the gate, and uh, obviously now that people are really using this and it's taken off a lot quicker than we anticipated, um, we do we do have another of needs for parents, especially managing their children, that uh, we will do another rev at some point. And it's great to hear that feedback.
0: Yeah, because you brought something up a second ago that I have on my list here, which is um, calibration. So in both situations, like it it comes up, I think on Arden's phone with the G5 um, share, she gets like a little lock screen thing that it needs to be calibrated. Um, Mm -hmm. But then after that, Your, I I guess there's just a little marker on kind of a tiny icon at the top left and it's it it doesn't really draw your eye very much afterwards but that that aside What I really would want to say about that is that I as the parent or as the caregiver, I need to know when the when the device wants to be calibrated because I'm making Important kind of life-and-death decisions based on the idea that this thing is giving me a reasonably accurate blood sugar and so absolutely and so you complete them. yeah and here's what I've come to having to do now this this happened to me the other day her blood sugar was this and this will sound counterintuitive but this is how I figured out my way around it her blood sugar was too steady for three hours and for three hours it just said her blood sugar was like 118 it never moved the line didn't go and so I texted her at school and I said any chance that the Dexcom's asking for a calibration and she said let me check and sure enough it did but When we tested, she was like 30 points higher than that. Had I known that three hours before, I would have addressed those 30 points, I guess. So I think that's a huge thing um, that if you're using it yourself, you might not consider as big, but when you're making, because Mike, look, and you know, we all know I'm not supposed to dose insulin based on the Dexcom, but I do. So I need to know it's at least as right as it can be. So, so that was, that was that. Uh, somebody in the, in the uh, community wants to know if Landscape is coming to the follow-up.
1: Yeah, tell me a little bit about how you're using Landscape now.
0: Well, in, it, you know, I, have, I have the follow app on, on my iPhone 6. And for the life of me, I don't feel like I have Landscape. So I, I do
1: not, or I do. No, it isn't present. This is a feature we introduced in G5. Um, Is Arden on G5 yet? She is. She is. is. Yeah, she is. Have you looked at that feature yet and curious to see how you're using it? It's fantastic. I mean,
0: you know, most of the decisions I make during the course of a day are colored to some degree based on the past, you you know. um, And so it's nice to be able to look back at the last meal and see that, I got more of a spike than I really expected when I'm making a decision about the next meal. Um, I just think that that seeing that history is it's beneficial when you're making dosing decisions.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly uh, what the intent of that feature was, is really to give more context when you look back and, and want to learn from your day and, and refine going forward, it gives you a little more context when you're logging events. Yeah. So absolutely. We see that as a valuable feature. And, uh, there's no reason that uh, the parents shouldn't have access to that future as well and, and be able to look back and help manage their children a lot better.
0: Okay, that's excellent.
1: That, um, that is a future that we are considering.
0: Cool. Uh, I will tell you, here's a big one from a lot of people. And you know what's great about Dexcom? And I said this the last time that I interviewed somebody from the company. You would think when you went out into the public and said, hey, ask questions, you'd think somebody would get kind of nasty. You know what I mean? But nobody. Mm-hmm. Everybody asks their question. At the end of it, they're like, please thank them. You know, it's it's nobody's negative. They just want it to be better. And um, not that it's not even good, but they just they want better for it, I think, because they rely on it so much. Um, almost everyone mentioned wanting to see a blood sugar and an arrow on the notification screen. No, no, they don't want to open the phone to see that information. And here's my thought, when because I agree with them. But my thought is, is that a HIPAA problem?
1: Or is it just... Um, not- it's- yeah, that's a great question. Um, that that particular thing isn't necessarily HIPAA because the user has chosen to uh, provide and share their data say, with their parents or, or designated followers, mm-hmm. and under HIPAA, you are completely free to share your health data with who you choose. Okay, HIPAA well- doesn't prevent you from doing that, so this particular instance isn't a HIPAA issue. Now, um, really, this goes back to um, the first uh, decision-making that we made with Follow, and we were really concerned around stale data. So as you know, if, uh, if you glance at, say, an old notification and we had a blood sugar number on there that is now maybe 10, 15 minutes old and you're dropping fast, um, we were concerned just from a risk perspective that we, we didn't want to have that possibility. So the design intent was really to um, alert you that there's something to look at and drive you into the app that's going to have the latest trend, latest uh, glucose value and your arrow. Because you opening and, uh, that
0: app makes it...
1: It gives you make sure it
0: refreshes itself in your scene because I see this. You know, I'm going to bring this up with the Apple Watch, but it, it is it's absolutely. So you're afraid somebody's going to flip up their phone and say, "Oh, I'm 97, nice and steady, like I was the last time." Except that it's possible that that the the app hasn't been pinged and refreshed the the lock screen notification.
1: Yes, um, and obviously uh, we're looking into being able to provide and uh, make sure we address those concerns because it is valuable. And with the watch, you want to be able to just quickly glance and see uh, where am I, where am I headed, do I need to take action? Um, and the faster you can do that, everyone is busy, um, the better off you are. And people do that 40 to 50 times a day frequently. Um, but we need to make sure that uh, we, we don't have any cases where you can mistakenly mistake old data for current state.
0: And is that an issue of the operating system or of the app?
1: Well, it was just kind of a safe way to enter. Um, I think this is something we can overcome in the future.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, uh, we need to make sure that we do it safely and all the edge cases are really handled. Okay. Um,
0: a lot of people want to know if, I think the repeat or the snooze function on a lot of the alarms on the follow app are a little too far out in the future for some people's liking. I think it's 30 minutes at this point, And I think it used to, you used to have an option to do 15 minutes but that mm-hmm. seems to be gone now. Was there a reason that was taken off, or can it go back?
1: Uh, yeah, good question. If uh, if that's not meeting user needs, it's great to hear it, and we can consider that in the future. Rev. Is there a reason it couldn't be like
0: user defined? Is there a reason I couldn't dial up eight minutes if that's what I wanted, or seventeen, or
1: uh, no reason it couldn't technologically. Um, we were we wanted to make sure that we didn't. Kind of over alert parents that they were calling their uh, their children too often when it wasn't necessary, but uh, but uh, giving you guys the freedom to, you know, suit your situation the best, definitely something we should consider.
0: Okay, all right, yeah. I mean, I just think that
1: as my wife is trying to call me,
0: um, hopefully she's not calling with a last minute question for you, uh, <laughs> I, because I mean that's the sort of thing. I get what you're saying though, because um, what I do notice is that when people get it in the beginning and they're they're new at it that's one of the first things that they say right is that um is that you know i i'm getting alerted too much or i got up um you know i had to get up too many times last night because that thing beeped or something like that so so you're trying to walk a kind of a fine line with that
1: yeah we heard when we talked to users and when we designed share that a concern from a lot of uh uh, young people with uh, type one was that that their parents were getting too involved and checking in too often. And the great thing is with share now they don't always have to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. They can uh they can understand what's going on, they have a window into that and they can choose when the right conversations are. Um so we were very sensitive to that issue of of interrupting uh young people's lives too much when it wasn't appropriate. But uh it it's always something that we'll refine and and uh, improve going forward. Yeah, and I
0: guess if you and I guess too, there's a there's got to be some concern on your end that if you make everything too customizable, that it could become overwhelming at some point. Also. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay.
1: All right. So and we've um, heard that as a big positive, how simple Share is. Yeah. How simple it is to accept the invite and really get started. And the fact that um, if you're an adult, you can recommend the settings to your followers um, as to what makes sense for you. What you what do you want the followers to be alerted?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you too. It's sleepovers. It's fantastic. I grab a mom's phone. She downloads the app, um, and then I grab Arden's phone. And and by the time I've sent the you know the invitation, it's completely set up for the person on the other end. It it really is. It is quite mm-hmm. nice actually. All right, Mike. I bought an Apple Watch, but it's Okay, I love Dexcom, but my Apple Watch app for Dexcom is at least a coin flip as to whether or not it's going to be valuable for me. Um, I would say that the quick look works better since the update uh, than it did before. Actually, that one's pretty, that one's not bad. So I have it set up. If I swipe up from the bottom of my watch, um, I get a quick look at Arden's Blood Sugar. That one's pretty great. But when I get a notification, you know, and I touch the screen to launch the app, um, it takes so long to launch the app and get the information that I give up and open my phone most of the time. Why is that?
1: Great questions. Um, so obviously, this is a kind of a new technology, and we're trying to stay cutting edge, and it's always a balance to of when to adopt technology and when is it ready for our application. Mm-hmm. Um, helpful to give a little background on, on the technology and how it works. So initially, Apple Watch um, was called the OS1, which is their first version, which came out about last April. Um, and the way that worked is there's a separate program, your watch program. And that that program for Pebble and other systems runs on the watch directly. But for the first release of Apple Watch, it's actually running on your phone. So when when you open, say, the stock app um, or say the weather app, Um, it's going to show the last data and make it look like it's performant. And on weather, it doesn't change that quickly during the day typically, so it's not that big of a deal. And then what happens is the watch informs the the phone over Bluetooth to say, I need the updated weather data. Um, It'll go out to the internet, grab the latest weather if it doesn't already have it, and then it needs to um, have the watch code run to update your user interface and then push that back to the watch. And all of that process takes a lot of time in some instances, and with follow, we actually have to go out to the internet because our follow app can't run in the background to keep up the latest values at all times. So this is a long round trip from the watch to the phone to the server and back, and it is frustrating when uh, the intent of this is really to be able to glance at your watch, uh, know where Arden's blood sugar is if there's action needed, and then go about your day. There's kind of a five-second rule in werewolves that you should respect. And- so and- up-
0: I was going to say, in complete fairness to you, as you started to explain this, I pulled up my screen on my watch, and I pressed the, um, my TweetBot app, which is the, what I use for Twitter, and it took just as long as Dexcom did. Um, I, as I interrupted you just now, I touched the app for that follows the metrics on my blog, and it's still showing me page views from about 8 o'clock this morning. And now yeah. I'm I'm now I'm having to tap on it again and again and again to get so this is not specific to the DEXCOM app, it is it's specific to how this whole thing works. And do you see or do you happen to know? Because I know you guys have a, a pretty good relationship with Apple. I, is this something that's changing moving forward or is this how it's gonna be?
1: It is, and uh there's something called Watch OS two that Apple released this fall. And the difference between the OS one and the OS two is that Just like uh, Pebble and other situations, the the code can actually run on the watch now. So with Follow, you're not going to see an enormous improvement because we still have to go to the phone, to the internet, and back um, because of the backgrounding restrictions of most apps. But with, say, G5, um, G5, when it gets the data, it can push that data to the watch. And so when you open the app, it should be... Um, refreshed much quicker, and users will see a better performance. And so then that
0: begs the question, right, when will a G5 Apple Watch app, is that coming? After the break, we'll find out if that Apple Watch app is coming for G5. We'll talk about uh, Do Not Disturb Override. We'll talk about the Arrow that none of you seem to like, but I sort of do like it. Does the G5 have a shorter Bluetooth range than the G4? We'll talk about the Clarity software, 505 updates for G4Peds, and of course, I won't let you down. We're going to ask about Android. You know, at first I couldn't find the ad copy, but you know, I thought, I don't really need this. I could easily tell you that my daughter has been wearing an Omnipod for seven years since she was four years old. We have not regretted it for one second, but insulin pumps are personal and you should do your research and look into them. You absolutely need to find the one that's right for you. I'm just thrilled that Omnipod decided to advertise on the podcast so I could tell you that it has been the right decision for us. But uh, enough of my talking, let me read the copy. This is what they paid for, not me chitter-chattering along. November is Diabetes Awareness Month and there are a lot of pretty compelling reasons to choose Omnipod for your insulin needs, starting with the freedom you'll experience. Then there's the convenience and the control. Omnipod gives you or your child the freedom to do what you want, when you want. Sleep in, exercise, and just live life on your own terms because you don't want to be tethered to your insulin schedule or a pump. The best way to understand Omnipod is to try it for yourself So get a free demo kit, including a sample non-functioning pod, by going to www.myomnipod.com forward slash demo and see what you think. There's absolutely no obligation. And if you're listening right now at juiceboxpodcast.com, there is a link right here in the post that will take you to that demo pod. As a matter of fact, if you're listening in a podcast app, just look in the show notes for that same link. Hey, while I have your attention, if you're new to the show, I want to uh, point out a couple of episodes I think you'll really enjoy. The one before this, number 37, Jenny Smith. She is a CDE and a real diabetes guru, talks about fine-tuning your life with type one. Episode 36, If you ever worried about what it might be like to have a baby while you're type 1, or if you're concerned about your daughters one day, Ginger Vieira tells us all about how her pregnancy went with type 1 diabetes. Episode 33, a D mom opens up about how she resents her kids' diabetes. It is really touching and and emotional. Going back farther, there are episodes about how I handle Arden's blood sugars while she's at school, being bold with insulin, Olympians that have type 1 diabetes. Just go back. Go take a look. There's something there you'll love, I promise. All right, Mike, tell me about this G5 Apple
1: Watch. Yeah, great question. And uh, users were a bit surprised, given the fact that we had it on Share 2, that it wasn't an initial release of of G5. And uh, obviously, we see it as very valuable. Um, We submitted the G5 app in February before the watch was launched, so it didn't make the initial feature set when it went into the FDA. Mm -hmm. And the FDA reviews for us typically take six to seven months before the FDA approves, and then we have to submit again to the FDA to add features like the watch. So we are working on it. We want to get it out as fast as possible, but that's why
0: it didn't make the first. first I, he- release. I hear what you're saying. Like there are a bunch of Apple watch users walking around Dexcom right now that have the G5 app <laughs> and you're waiting for the FDA to approve it. Is that about right?
1: Yeah. The uh, that's Typically there's there's a safety process. They have to review things before it, comes no. out, which is a good thing because they make sure it's all safe and we've, out of all the the corner cases so it's safe for you
0: no yeah i'm and we're gonna bring that up a little later my last apple watch question comes from a person who was very very vigilant about making sure i asked you this question um and it's going to be a word i'm going to use it i guess unless we're people are into programming the watch they're not going to know right away because i had to look it up can we get complications for the watch and do you know what that means
1: I do. Yeah, Um, look at you. We were at the the Apple Developer Conference this year when they announced it to the developer community, and our first reaction was, wow, this is really great. So what a complication is, is if you look at your watch face, a complication, and this dates well before Apple Watch. This is an Apple-specific term. Anything that is not the time and is on your watch face, like the date or the weather or anything else, um, is called a complication. Um, It's Kind of an unfortunate name, I think, but the... um, the great thing for users is now users can choose what data is important to them and put that directly on their watch face. So if you think uh, stock or weather or your Dexcom um, glucose value is most important, that's the idea is that you can put all the right elements on your watch face and customize that. Um, and with the five second rule, um, the watch face typically comes up first and that's the fastest way to get your data. Um, so great potential. We're very excited about it.
0: And so it's possible that while the watch face is loading, it'll also load the data for the complications so that when I touch it, I'll have upgraded, updated information already?
1: Yeah, that would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a technical limitation. And uh, by the way, it's great that users are really aware of technology. And uh, and with, with blogs in these days, we're really getting a lot of great feedback directly from users even before we release things. Um, and I love that people are requesting these things. But With complications, the unfortunate limitation today, Apple is balancing battery life and how often um, they update data on the watch. So if they updated data every five minutes, um, the watch would have a lot less battery. Mm -hmm. And obviously, we have um, 288 values a day. Um, They only have a budget of 48 updates per day on the current implementation. So... um, Obviously, old data is a big concern that we don't want to show you 100 when you've fallen down to, say, 50, uh, because then you would make a different decision. And so we're very conscious of that piece of it. But within the 48 updates a day, we can't give you your current glucose, per se. You need to think a little bit differently. Um, And with that challenge, we have some ideas, and I'd love to hear if there's anything uh, that uh, the community has um, in that arena. So We're exploring options within that current limit. Um, and then also with Apple, is there any way we can uh, go beyond that limit to get users what they expect?
0: So this is, this is honestly, this is going to be one of these things that as technology moves so much quicker than it has in the past, and it really is in, in most facets of life, just rolling along at this point, like you almost get knocked over by it as it comes around one more time, you know, on the boulder that hit you in the back, um, it's This is possible that this is something that we're talking about now. Like, I'm not sure how to overcome this. But in the next generation of the watch or the next version of Bluetooth, these problems could be completely eliminated. Or, or the next time they upgrade a battery or something like that, this is just something you won't talk about
1: anymore. Yeah, exactly. And this is a question of when do we adopt technology? Is it ready for the Dexcom use of it? And we are very different than a lot of apps on your phone. Um, the you know users, for instance, on Do Not Disturb, Um, You don't want to be interrupted by text messages at night unless it's kind of your wife trying to get a hold of you. Um, And Apple thinks about those use cases and does a very good job creating a great experience, but, you know, a medical application on a phone is a very different thing and it doesn't fit into most of the categories that they had in mind.
0: Yeah. And and Mike, and it is so important because I'm just going to give you a a real quick example. It's a real life example. So right before I called you um, probably about a half an hour before I called you, um, I pre Arden for lunch while she's at school. And people who listen to this podcast, read my blog, know that Arden hasn't been to the Arden's in sixth grade. She hasn't been to the nurse since second grade because of Dexcom. And and we do everything eat with, you know, back and forth with each other. It started out with text messaging and she would text me what her CGM said. Then, you know, there was share and I could I could see it, but you know, um, not and and now we're up to I I took Arden at 96, 20 minutes before she was going to put food in her mouth. At 96, I bolused six units. I think we put in 60% of it, then extended the other 40% over an hour. I watched her blood sugar go from 96 down to 80, down to 80, I think 78. Then I noticed she started eating. She hit 66. 66 it leveled out at 66 it became to come back up and now she's 80 again and she's probably finished eating and moving on to her next class now don't get me wrong she's going to drift up from here but i just i just kept my da- my 11 year old from having a lunchtime spike at school remotely through my phone like and That's amazing. because you can't if i can't watch it happen i can't be this i can't keep this tight of of a hold on it because at some point, don't get me wrong, this week, next week, coming up, we're going to do this, and it's going to go wrong. You know, And by wrong, I mean maybe she won't finish her sandwich, maybe she'll get slowed down getting into the cafeteria, something's going to happen, and her blood sugar's going to get a little lower than I'm going to be comfortable with. And then I can see that and text her and say, hey, are you sitting down? Are you eating? You know, Because you, you got to 60, and I don't want you to get below 60. So why don't you skip over whatever you're eating now and go to that cookie for a second, or whatever we're going to end up doing. None of that's possible without this software. Um, you, you are single handedly Mike, in your office and with your crew. You, you're keeping my daughter's A1C down at 6. So um, I know how important it is. I, I, I think you do, too. And so, I, you know, again, I didn't want to get off track, but I really appreciate what you guys do and that you're willing to answer these questions. Can we jump to the share app, the G5 share app? Sure. I don't have this feeling, but I don't carry the phone. Um... There's a lot of complaints about the white space. There seems to be, people seem to feel like there is wasted space in the app when it's in portrait. Do you feel like that?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, this is a, really goes to a design question and what's most important to you to visualize. And some people do have trouble with, with uh, eyesight. Um, so please give us that feedback. And, yeah. and we can obviously rebalance the, the user interface if it's not meeting everybody's desire what? we did add a feature for the first time where if you don't typically go above uh, say 300 that you could now uh, set the maximum value on your trend graph to be 300 yes um and that uh hopefully gives users a little more dynamic range within that graph but um if uh yeah if uh Send us your feature requests. I find We'd that love to hear feedback. Uh, all right. Well, at the end,
0: we're going to ask you where to send that to. You might be sorry you said that. But um, <laughs> um, talking about that, being able to like you know take your top line from four hundred down to three hundred to kind of save space on the phone, I-, I will tell you that I think that a great deal of keeping your blood sugar in a range has to do with your expectation of that range, and it took me a while to figure that out. But what I realized is when I had Arden's high you know, high threshold set at 200, I could keep her under 200. And it just started occurring to me, like, what's the difference like between 200 and 220? Like, why is it not going above 200? And I just started realizing it was my expectation. It was me trying not, you know, looking at the graph and saying, Oh, we don't want to get to 200. So we moved it to 160. And now she doesn't go over 160 very much. And I can't wait to move it down again, because I think you set that expectation for yourself. And and then there's then you kind of follow through on it. You, you know what I mean? And, um, and so I think that's great. Uh, G5 share app. Why, please, actually, this was a please one. Please, please, please allow the app to override the do not disturb feature on the phone. Is that possible?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, obviously, this is a, a kind of a special app. And when we talked to our users during G5 development, everyone expected this to be behave differently than every other app on your phone after all this is this is your health you're talking about if there's a low blood sugar event they really need to know about it even if you're sleeping if you're in a meeting um, that's a very important event so um, right now you know Apple's original design 10 again it goes back to um, you know they wanted they were thinking of these use cases like sleeping like being in meetings and they wanted um, every app not to kind of be the Wild West and just start overriding apple's design intent in meetings and at night and and annoying people but we are different and we're exploring um every opportunity to uh you know to meet what users expect
0: okay that's excellent um are you experiencing a shorter bluetooth range than with the g4
1: great question um i think actually g4 did so well it's so far beyond the 20 foot of range that uh the perception is that g5 is uh, definitely a lot less, and basically what's going on with G5 here is, um, A, this is a multifunctional device. This is um, a phone that's doing a lot of different things. Uh, The radio does Bluetooth and Wi-Fi at the same time, and they kind of have to share time um, on an antenna. We have uh, a two-way conversation, so it's not a very simple um, design like G4 where it's just blasting out the values, and all you have to do is hear it on the other side. We actually have to talk back and forth um, and so all those things kind of contribute to um, the reality that it, it doesn't have the exceptional range that G4 did, well beyond 20, 20 feet. But in general, it does uh, do a good job at at the 20 foot range.
0: I don't have a problem with it, honestly. So I'm, and and, but I also have an 11 year old girl, so I'm not sure that she's that far from her phone ever. So I I don't know that it's ever an issue that my daughter puts her cell phone down. Um, Mm -hmm. The app warning that comes up to tell you that like, you know, this app might not be compatible with your operating system. uh, The note I wrote to myself is uh, app warning message freaking people out. And the follow up I have to that is how come I see it and then it eventually disappears?
1: Great question. Okay, cool. Great question. I I can understand that. That can be a little disconcerting for people. Um, So what's happening there is really this is how does Dexcom maintain um, the app functioning correctly as Apple um, rolls out different updates? So uh, a brief window into what our process is, is um, Apple comes out with an update. Um, If um, we have have kind of negotiated with the FDA that if we haven't tested it because Apple didn't give us warning, um, what we do is we default to a warning. And this lets the users know, hey, we haven't got around to testing this app. We're going to get to it very quickly. But we, haven't, we don't have any test results yet. So that, that's essentially what that warning is saying. Um, as soon as we test it, um, we post those test results on our website. And then, um, assuming everything is functioning properly, we take that warning away, and you don't see that anymore. So as a user, um, you may want to consider um, waiting a couple days uh, to install your update from Apple and you can always check in with our website whether that is functioning or not. Because theoretically, um, there could be a problem, and we need to actually make a software change, which may take a week or so, to uh, make our app compatible with
0: that new update. So after you do that, after you make it compatible, you guys are actually removing the NAG screen then, is that right?
1: Yeah, most of the time it, it's fine, and our testing says it's good, and we just take the warning away. Okay. Um, but it may, if we actually have to make a change, we have to go through our verification process, um, that we've uh, you know we have a quality system set up that does all this testing, confirms everything is functioning properly, and we have some paperwork to do to uh, report that. Um, we've negotiated with the FDA that you know it's very important to keep users working in the system, and so if something does break, we can we can make that change quickly. We don't have to wait for a lengthy FDA review, and we can just let the FDA know at the end of the year. Okay, so Mike, now this one came
0: to me enough with this specific description that I'm going to bring it up even though it's just a design thing and and you know Design is from person to person. It's you know, I'm kind of I'm the type of person I don't really care what you do with the app. I'll get used to it and I won't think about it again Like I'm not the kind of guy who's going to be like can you believe Facebook changed? I'm not using But but at the same time so many people use this term They seem to hate the arrow And they refer to it as an angry bird when it's steady and red (laughs) A lot of people people use the phrase angry bird, by the way. Uh, (laughs) So um, I don't know. It really is an aesthetics thing, you know, Um, but the overall vibe from people was the arrow is what's important. Make the arrow bigger. Don't worry about design aesthetics, like make it bigger. I would have to say in defense of that, that I sort of like the feeling that the arrow is on a fluid gimbal and rolling around the number. Cause that's how it hits me design wise. And I'm sure there's like one guy back there right now who works for you. It's like, that's what I meant. Thank you. But, um, but a lot of, a lot of please make the, make the arrow bigger, you know, and angry birds. So you can do without what you want. <laughs> um, can I, can I ask you about clarity? Sure thing. Now I'm, I'm a little at a disadvantage here. I have not been able to, I, I just bought a new computer um, and I haven't been able to install it yet. The new computer kind of coincided with with the app with the um, software coming out. Um, mm-hmm. But I interviewed just yesterday. It's the it's the um, the episode before this one, uh, number thirty seven. A CDE who um, who said that the seven day. I'm going to make sure I get it right. She called. I asked her how clarity was. She said it was good, not great. And she wants to know where did the seven day overlay go. She says it's an average now. And it's less helpful than it was when it was an overlay. And does that? Yeah, good question. Okay.
1: So we have a whole uh, great team up in Portland um, that focuses on our retrospective software now, and and, uh, our goal is to make that web based. Um, They've built this great infrastructure that we can actually accept the streaming data from G5. There's no more downloads if you're using the app, and there's a new Clarity app that you can get access to that report. So, from a workflow perspective, it's been great improvements. Um, From a report, Perspective. I kind of have to let those guys comment on um, the direction there, but the uh, you know we want to make the reports more usable and more friendly to a, a much larger base. But um, if you take away some of the more detailed reports, um, obviously people those find that find that valuable uh, are missing those. Things. So we'll have to be sensitive to that as we move forward. Yeah, I would say that this, this
0: person, um, her name is Jenny Smith. She works for Integrated Diabetes, um, and I think they are one of the more respected private um you know offices where you can go and 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 be taught how to read your dexcom data and how to use it and stuff like that mm-hmm. i i would take her i would take her suggestion to heart if if i could she um and she also said events aren't as clear as they used to be so um that was her that was her big push but i can tell you this i also heard from a ton of people who said that they love being able to push this information directly to their doctor like such a huge help and and they're already starting to take better care of themselves because they're getting, you know, quicker feedback from their doctors and just going every three months and talking about it or even having to go through the rigmarole of you know uploading data to somebody. It's it seems to be a huge help. Some people concerned about um, what happens to that data when it goes up online and who can see it. But if they go back to my my. Um, my interview with the CEO from Dexcom, he, 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 very clearly talks about the data and everything. Let's see. Okay. Here's one that, that isn't just me, but it, um, this is coming from me. I get too much. I get the no data warning way too much on the follow app. And then I'm a little stuck to troubleshoot it myself. I've got to crash the app. Um, And sometimes I have to go so far as to text Arden and say, hey, you know, do you not have data on your phone? And that's sort of a two-pronged problem. A, you don't let me have a no-data warning until 30 minutes, so I would prefer to get it a little quicker than that. I understand you don't want me to get, you know, every time the signal gets interrupted for a half a second, I shouldn't get alerted. But 30 minutes, I think, is too long. But what I'm seeing more, Mike, is when I finally contact Arden and say, I have no data, she says, well, I do. And this is happening like on my home network, you know, or through cell. It happens, you know, It's is, is and, and a lot of people asked about it. So I was wondering if you could talk about it a little bit.
1: Yeah, great question. So obviously our goal is reliability. You know, in your use case, you're really counting on this to always give you the data when you need it. And uh, anything that uh, prevents that needs to be kind of our top priority. So we're always looking into any of these reports to make sure we, uh, we saw that it. it could could be an update that uh, changed something that happened when a new OS came out, or um, as we roll a new feature out, theoretically, something something could have changed. So we're always conscious of that. Um, any th- I advise all users, if, if they are seeing a problem, please call it in and let us know so that we can take a look and make sure that we're always making that as reliable as possible. Um, that, there are some cases where you know the system requires calibration. Obviously, if you're not getting a number on your primary CGM, it's, you're not going to have a number in your follow. And if the phone doesn't have an internet connection, obviously followers aren't going to have that data but uh outside of those scenarios um you know our goal is opera reliability there is that a
0: cloud do you think that's a cloud issue because as you're talking um,
1: about it it, it it depends we'd have to look into that specific problem to yeah. to see what was going on there okay um and obviously we'll be happy to
0: great yeah just as you were talking about I'm thinking if the if the g five app has a connection and it's got a number, and I have a connection and I'm not seeing it. Then that was the only that's the only waypoint that I can think of is is at the cloud. So okay. Do you happen to have any information on when the 505 update for G4 Peds comes online?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so uh, Gen five has 505 in and it is approved for adults and pediatrics, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of our baseline going forward. So the current plan is upgrade to G5. Get yeah,
0: 505. Okay. All right. So we won't see it come to the G4? Um,
1: I'm not sure that it's in the plan. I'd have to get back to you on no, there. That's
0: fine. Yeah. No. And I don't want to go too far down that road because the one kind of cute thing that when I asked for questions and I was very specific, I'm like, Mike deals with apps and software, but people asked a lot of business questions. And I'm like, I don't think Mike's the right guy to ask for that. But this one seems sort of software related. So um, I thought I would try to sneak it in. Uh, tell me this. How much of when we see, you know, we're told a lot that the next leap, this G6, there's going to be like a real accuracy improvement, right? We're you guys are going to be, I'm assuming, you know, going to the FDA and saying, look, this is as good as finger sticks. By the time you get to Generation Six, how much of that accuracy comes from what you do, the software side?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So. Um, with 505, you saw an accuracy update that was purely software, and that was the algorithm was updated to uh, uh, to understand the sensor signal better and provide more accurate readings. That didn't have any software changes, or, sorry, uh, sensor changes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the, the way it works internally is we have really two groups. We have our sensor group, which has a, a bunch of really great scientists, um, and then we have our algorithm group, which has a bunch of data scientists or you know, software developers. And they need to really agree. So as we make changes in the in the sensor, the algorithm has to to match that sensor very closely to be able to filter out any um, any issues the sensor may have or any potential failure modes, and really account for those in a safe way. And it's the unification of those two technologies that really produces a great system.
0: And, and so, oh, so everybody's got their hand in making it better, then? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, Mike, if I had a little Tiffany, I'd play it or a drum roll or something like that. I have obviously saved this till the end. I think you should probably stretch your back for a second, crack your knuckles. Why? Oh, why, Mike? Why is this not all available for Android?
1: Good question. We love our Android users. Um, And, uh, you know, we started with iOS primarily because they adopted Bluetooth first. So Android was a little slower to have it as a platform available. Mm -hmm. Um, They've caught up now. And up until their 5.0 Android releases, which wasn't that long ago, the Bluetooth technology wasn't very mature on that platform. The other challenge on Android that we're running into is just there's so many phones and configurations out there. So you can't test, say, six, eight, ten devices and and make sure that everybody's going to work out there. So it's a much more complicated problem. Um, We started with Follow because it's a lot simpler. All it has to do is talk to the internet, get your data, get notifications. um, And we launched that earlier this year. That's been a big success. But uh, with the G5 Android, it's really around testing with our our sensor and making sure that's going to be all the communication is going to be reliable. So the Follow for Android is working
0: well for the community and for people?
1: Yes, um, you know we've seen little issues here and there that we've, uh, you know, gone and made updates quickly to address as, after launch. But, but overall, it's gone very well, um, and uh, we are focused on delivering an Android solution so that all of our Android users have a have a great system. Have uh,
0: ha- has it's having it a out a
1: little harder problem.
0: Has having it out in the real world helped you move along quicker? Because you're seeing more you're seeing real world issues with it is it is that more, Is it helpful to get it off the bench at some point like if if this wasn't a medical app do you think you would have launched it quicker
1: um yeah great question obviously commercial companies have the freedom to just put things out and fix bugs in the field yeah um we don't want to put anything out there that's unsafe and no, that's our goal part of our quality system is to to do the appropriate testing um we have found that uh you know, with mobile phones, that uh, bench testing and, and actual use with people's phones when you have all these different apps installed, um, you do run into uh, different issues. So it's important that we, we do that testing internally before we – we don't want to test on our users. Right, right. Okay. We always want to put out something that's safe.
0: So how comfortable are you if I if we turn just slightly and talk about the – the CGM and the cloud group that the, um, the there's a group of users who have developed software that's running on Android and Pebble watches and stuff like that. And been going on for a very long time, rather successfully. And, and I have a couple of questions about it because um, those people. So, so here's what my limited understanding of it is, is that they've, you know, they've created software and, and ways to get the information from their, um, you know, from their phone into into the app and and on their pebble watch and stuff like that, but they also appear to have access to more information. so that re- that transmitter is sending more information than we're seeing um, and and one thing that i that I think of is that they see predictive data. they actually see like a a split on their graph that says in the near future, it's possible that your blood sugar may go up to this or down to this. And it sort of shows a little pie, like a piece of a pie where, they, where it expects it to be. Now, I know you can see that data. Obviously, if they can see it, you can see it. And it seems like such a benefit, so much so that I can't imagine that you're keeping it from us for any nefarious reasons. There must be, and I'm gonna sound a little bit like a brown noser here, Mike, asking this question, but I'm not, I genuinely feel this way. There's gotta be a really good reason you don't let us see that information. And can you tell me what it is?
1: Um, it's a good question. You know, the it, first of all, it's great. The innovation community sees, you know, this monitoring technology is so valuable and they're really doing great things out there with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, we, live in, we live in two different worlds. You know, they live in a world where they're free to innovate quickly, and we live in a world where we have to, you know, develop and, and submit a responsible system out to the general public, and we're under FDA regulation. Right. So it is two very different realities that we operate under. Um, as far as uh, predicted values, um, we currently we don't actually have that in our system. Um, you can infer that data from looking backwards, and uh, that's, that's kind of what these guys are doing. Um, this is something that we've been evaluating internally, and we, we do see the value of it, but. Um, we have to show that uh, we can predict within a safe margin, and uh, we demonstrate that to, uh, to the FDA before putting that out. So then my question would be, if you
0: can answer it, is that something you are trying to currently demonstrate to the FDA, or is it something you're still thinking
1: of? Um, it, it's definitely in the pipeline. I, that's all I can comment on.
0: No, that, that's that's great. And actually, it makes sense that it would have to be, you know, I'm extrapolating, but if if you're going to call G6 you know, a finger, finger stick accurate. I I don't know how you do it without that information actually. So, um, okay. So for the people who are using the CGM in the cloud, who know they can see this on their pebble watch and it all works for them. What is the downside of what they're doing? Like, are they, and not to say that they're doing anything wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying what I'm getting at is, are they getting bad information at times? Or is it possible that they're getting bad information at times or broken service or, what, what, what's your biggest concern? Like when you stop and think about when Mike lays his head on the pillow at night and thinks about CGM in the cloud, which is, I'm sure you do all the time. Um, w- w- it, are you okay that they have it? Or is there, is there something inside you that says, oh, I wish they would realize this or, or maybe not at all. I'm just, I'm, I'm fishing here right now. Yeah, that's,
1: uh, that's a good question. Um, so empathizing with uh, you know, parents and, and people who are doing this, they're, they're really looking for solutions that aren't commercially available right now. Yeah. Um, and they're doing their part to advance technology and really push the envelope. So if I was in their shoes, would I be doing the same thing? Potentially. i um, not saying that I wouldn't do that. Um, you know, Again, this goes back to two different worlds. You know, We have um, a very high degree of rigor and responsibility to make sure what we put out is safe and tested. Um, when we do our algorithm development, we have to make sure we understand um, our our different uh, failure modes of the sensor as possible, and we design uh, appropriate mitigations for each of those, and we do that under hundreds of sensors um, and gather hours and hours and hours of clinical data to make sure that we really have the right level of diligence um, for our algorithms to match our sensors. So it, it's just two different degrees, um, and uh, you know it's really... A personal decision uh, for each user to decide whether you know they uh, they trust these other solutions and they want to take the risk and and go about that responsibly or whether they want to follow the dexcom commercial solution and and that's their decision how
0: How, how involved are you with the FDA? Do you go down for meetings or you do you stay in California and somebody else goes and has that?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. We have a regulatory department that that's their primary responsibility is dealing with that relationship um, and and keeping in touch with them. Um, There are times where um, they do need experts from the different disciplines to go down and actually participate in those conversations. So I've been there several times.
0: Yeah. And would you do you have if you can answer or if you even know, do you think the CGM in the cloud community helped push us forward? Like do you think it helped loosen the f d a up did the, was there a thought well, geez, if people are doing it on their own, we gotta let this happen
1: um good question i, I really don't want to speculate this is more i think better asked to the f d a okay
0: maybe we'll do that someday um thank you uh diasend you are you know what Diasend is i imagine um mm-hmm. and is it going to um be supported by gen five?
1: Yeah, great question. Actually, Diasent is supported by Gen 5 in Europe right now. Um, They're part of that development. We did the US uh, G5 system first. When we went into Europe, we had to develop uh, additional features on the data sharing infrastructure around security and opt in features for the users that wasn't present in the US. So now we have to bring that back um, to the US before we can actually connect to Diasent properly.
0: Okay, can I rattle off a couple at the end here that you may or may not have the answer to? Um, and if you don't know or you can't say, it's very fine. A few people wanted to know how the CGM data is harvested and stored and what it's used for on your end.
1: Yeah, good question. Um, so obviously there's there's a, a few things in there. One is privacy. Um, I just wanna say that we take um, data privacy very seriously. Um, this is our user's data. Um, it should be under the user's control where that data goes and who they share it with. So um, share is their decision, um, who their followers are. Um, we do send the data. Um, we take the data and collect it to give it to um, our clarity reports so they can get that value out of it. But outside of Dexcom walls, it's going to be the user's choice um, if they choose to, say, um, connect to the Diasend um, or any other third-party pieces. And uh, that's, um, that's essentially our privacy is that it's it's the user's data. You, you control your data,
0: right? Hey, you know what? I missed this. Or going back, and it's kind of important. When I lose connectivity, say I have no data on my follow up for a while. Say it's gone for twenty minutes, and when it comes back, um, the line doesn't fill back in. Is there? Can you explain why that happens? Um, is there no memory in the transmitter, or, or because that's something that? Um the community asked a lot about. I can't believe I skipped over it actually. But I guess in the past if I was looking at it on the receiver and I had a you know a, a gap where there was no data when it came back the the trend line fills in. But now it doesn't yeah, it with the fun. app. Yep.
1: Yeah. So uh, so you're really talking about how G5 is a little different than what you saw with the Share2 system? Okay. And and the uh, the data would catch up. We call that backfill. Um, within it because the receiver had all those values and when the uh, the share 2 app was able to reconnect with the the Server it uploaded all that data um, up to the server and then the followers could see all that data so D5 this is really just a, a speed to market question. Um, we really felt that system is valuable. We wanted to get it out and in um, making all the internal trade-offs. We decided that um, Taking this data and backfilling it was going to be a feature that we would move to a rev 2 so That's something that we are very aware of. That users want, and we, we do want to get it out to everybody. Um, thank you. Would you? Can I press
0: you for a date for Android? Do you have a date or a time frame? Because you guys have pushed, yeah, good you, question. You've pushed it's, it a you know, number of times.
1: Some of this is uh, going to be dependent on kind of the FDA discussions and and what the the testing is going to be required. But uh, you know, we would love to get something out next year, but. Um, that's not not entirely under our control. Okay. Um. Next year, two thousand sixteen, likely towards closer to the end, but uh, it, it's again dependent on the FDA. Well, I hear in your
0: voice even that it's not something. You know, you you've outlined what the hurdles are, and obviously, I have to say, based on my experience with Dexcom and and how you guys are really, you know, as user friendly as you can be, and I mean, there are not a lot of device companies you know, given their app guy an hour on a podcast. So I, I, I appreciate that. I assume you really do want it out, but the hurdles must be huge if that's your answer. So, um, all right. And we
1: want to make sure that when we do deliver that, that's a, that's a great, reliable solution for everybody it
0: just works yeah okay all right um when you're walking around the halls please yell to somebody that they would like the adhesive to not cause as much rashes especially for the people who it bothers um but we're uh,
1: we're working on a software solution to the patch but it hasn't (laughs) worked
0: out so far and and the people in canada they really they they want they want dexcom stuff faster they if i told you how many emails i have that just say when will the share be available in Canada. you know, so the Canadians need some love, too, if you can mention that to somebody. And, 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 Mike, my last question before I let you go is, how many Dexcom share cradle paperweights are in the office? Do you use them to hold everything <laughs> down?
1: <laughs> yeah, good question. You know, we didn't uh, we didn't anticipate how fast the review of the, the connected receiver would go. So it's actually a great thing that we have uh, excess inventory of the, the cradles because... That remote technology of, of share, um, the sh- receiver with share, was was really the upgrade people wanted. You should take somebody's cube walls not down. Prob- not and, a bad problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not for sure. You should take someone's cube walls down and rebuild it with a share box, the share cradle yes. box. That'd be fantastic.
1: They've turned it, they've turned it into business card holders. <laughs>
0: hey, that's a great idea, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, uh, well, Mike, I hope for your first podcast this went well for you. That's great. Thanks yeah. for having me. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. I thought you did fantastic. I really appreciate you answering all these questions. You know, like I said in the beginning to kind of reiterate at the end. Obviously, what you guys do and the product you have, it means so much to people. You can see in their passion when you say, "Hey, do you have any questions?" I can see in the passion when I upload this and 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 can tell you that something involving you guys downloads four times more than everything else. It it, it really is is something people care about and, they, and they're and they very connected to and I think it's because of you know what it means to their life and you know what to, to end the podcast and give you a good idea uh, it's 2 p.m. right now my time and like I said at 1225 I pre-bolused Arden for lunch uh, she started eating at 1245 and was probably out of there by 115 her blood sugar is 96 right now and so yeah, that's amazing and, and that really is you know that's the crux of this like you know when i bring this information to people in the end that's my hope is that they hear that with just being able to see the direction and speed that their blood sugar is moving they can make simple decisions that will really you know just change their life and their health so uh my uh, my gratitude for me and my family and my daughter and and for all the people who sent in these questions and, and thank you very much for taking the time to do this
1: I appreciate it, Scott. You know, I feel so lucky every day to be able to come to work and work on a technology this impactful. It's just uh, really motivating. Every, everyone loves coming to work every day here. So it's fortunate to be part of a company that has this kind of impact.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine any different. You guys need some swag, T-shirts or stuff. You make a small, yeah, great idea. You make a small fortune in a little online store. <laughs> I would totally wear a Dexcom T-shirt. All right, man. Well, have a great day, and uh, and thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Scott. Have a great day. I want to thank Insulet, the makers of the Omnipod, the world's only tubal insulin pump, for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox podcast. I want to remind you that nothing you heard today on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Lastly, if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to leave a rating or review on iTunes or to tell a friend. You can rate it on Stitcher, anywhere. Uh, you know, anywhere you listen, we'll help another person to find this show. Let me just move the microphone. It's going to get a little loud here for a second. Let me move the microphone around. And we'll leave you today with Basil snoring. Ready?
1: Hold on. Snore away, Basil. You'd think he could sleep somewhere else while I'm doing this. See you next week.